I have a dream to make movement practice universally understandable and accessible to anybody in the world and even understandable to those who are outside of the culture. I've started with the podcast featuring conversations that I have with teachers and practitioners who are in this community. I've learned so much from these conversations and really connected with people, both the listeners and the people that I've got on the podcast, and that's been a real joy. And so I want to pay that forward. I want to help listeners to this podcast also connect with other listeners and with teachers who I have on the podcast. So I'm really pleased to announce the opening of the Active Hang. The Active Hang is an online discussion board or a forum, a space for thoughtful and critical discussion on movement practice. You have a question? You want to meet the others? Jump on the Active Hang, say hello, ask your question and connect. My dream for the Active Hang is that it can become an asset to the community, a knowledge bank, a resource, one where people come and contribute. Where can you find it? It's on the passivehang.com. It's free to sign up. Come in and say hello. Once more again, you can access it at thepassivehang.com. Hey guys, welcome back. And I'm proud to say that we're at episode 40, 40 of The Passive Hang. And today I have Farid Herrera joining us on the podcast, who is a movement teacher based in the UK. Previously, Farid was a performer and he shares a lot of interesting stories from this past life. Farid is now a committed teacher and he shares all that he knows into his own unique style of movement training. Hope you guys enjoy and we're going to get started. Thanks guys for joining in once again. Uh, this is episode 40 of the Passive Hang. 40, that's sort of a surprises me now how, how many this has gotten up to and today really special with Farid Herrera say so, welcome to the podcast thank you Fayon. yes thank you I was I was saying off off the record I was saying I really appreciated your your message and how you approached me so yeah I'm, I'm glad to be here I'm really glad to have you because yeah I've been enjoying your work for a while I'm really appreciative that you share it on so many different platforms I've been inspired in my practice with a lot of the content you share so I was like well I just want to go to the source himself the man I want to find and dig a little bit deeper into the mind so uh, one place I like to start off with is you know apart from all the stuff that I see on the on the gram or on the YouTube I guess what happens in a regular day in the life of you yeah so um yeah, I suppose I don't have, you know, like morning routines or anything. Um, I'm quite, I feel quite adaptable to whatever the day needs. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I'll wake up at, at sort of whatever time my body clock sort of decides to get up. Generally speaking, there'll be anywhere between when I've got quite a lot of pending work, it'll be anywhere between 7.30, 8 maybe. If I don't have that much looming work, then it can be up to nine o'clock. I'll stay in bed, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so, so I, I'm I'm quite uh, varied like that. Then I'll usually uh, just make make a tea, a nice hot beverage. It's always uh, in my English breakfast tea, uh, and uh, that's the, that's as far as a sort of set routine goes. Um, and then, uh, but usually I'll just have a sit down at the laptop, uh, you know, and I'll have a look at what uh, needs attention. Uh, you know, most of the time that'll be someone that I'm working with online. Um, 
and that'll require a, a multitude of different skills you know in terms of communicating with them or editing a video for them or shooting content for people specifically mm -hmm. so that in and of itself is again very varied so there's no set routine uh, sometimes I'll have to go to the gym and I'll have to shoot a bunch of stuff for people and for my online training. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'll spend a day correcting on calls. So that'll be the, the, the day's work essentially. And then interspersed between there will be some downtime. I'll go for a walk with my dog. I'll play ball with her or whatever. I'll do something. I'll have a phone call with someone. I'll take a nap even, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah so quite quite varied and then and then probably towards the end of the day i'll start winding down maybe watch some telly with my girlfriend and then other times i'll be quite inspired to work at night i'm a, I'm a bit of a night owl mm -hmm. so i'll get back on the train you know at sort of 9 p.m and i'll start finishing up some stuff like you know uh and then i'll, I'll go to bed yeah so yeah that's a that's a, as broader broader a day as i can give you one thing you didn't mention was where does the training fit into that cycle? That, that sounds uh, like pretty, pretty normal life there. Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, so more recently I've, I've actually been spending a little bit more time on other things that I feel I need to improve. Mm. Uh, and training seems to have sort of taken a bit of a, it's sort of come down in the, on the priority list. I feel yep. like I spent already, the better part of 20 years mm -hmm. training mega hard you know like you know you hear people say oh, six hours a day it was really six hours a day sometimes we were out when it was raining and mm. we were still training like outdoors you know and so now um you know i'm sort of I, I you know sort of i'm finding out that i need to dedicate a bit more time to other things um so yeah so i i use the time to film for my students and to film for my social media as training time. Mm -hmm. So it's very relaxed. Yeah. And so these are the things that you've outlined and recognized outside of training. Would you be so kind? Like what, what are some of these things? Yeah. So, um, so we, we spoke a little bit about this uh, off the record as well. Communication being number one, uh, because my job essentially is I'm not a performer, mm. you know, so m my job isn't really to perform. Although I understand that people want someone who leads from the front and people are inspired by a coach who can do what he preaches. So I understand that. But other than that, I think we have to be able as teachers to communicate what it is we're doing. Mm. Um, and so the kind of social skills bubble is a huge umbrella um that i've been exploring you know because sometimes you get people coming and they say to you oh farid i want to train this and i want to learn this that and the other uh you know as a physical and then you start getting to know them and then you realize that maybe they don't actually care as much about learning what they said they did and they're just mm. training with you for something else and that's a huge part of being an asset to someone and you know, I think a coach should be an asset to someone. Um, and yeah, so I'm sort of finding out where, to, how to walk that tightrope 
And I understand that there are some people, you know, that are strictly business. They just want to do the work. It's all physical. They want to mm-hmm. get their sweat on and that's it. But there are other people that have way more specific needs. Mm. And that's really interesting. I think as a coach to be able to pinpoint that, maybe to open up those conversations, you know, mm-hmm. all those skills, I think I've sort of, yeah, perhaps neglected as a result of being very physical focused. So that's some of the stuff, mm. for example. Yeah. So how do these conversations start opening up or would you describe your coaching or what you offer to students much more than just the physical practice? Yeah, I suppose so. Yes. I don't particularly advertise it as that because, Mm. uh, because I feel malleable enough that I can, I can work on either end of the spectrum with, you know, whatever a typers that just need to get the work done and, Mm. and everybody else in between. So I don't have a particular niche of people that I'm interested in. I'm just interested in people that take the work seriously, that want to work with me. That's, Mm -hmm. and you know, some, yeah, I mean, it might be the, you know, we can't please everyone, you know, I'm not to everyone's taste and I'm totally fine with that. You know, some people have come to train with me and they've absolutely loved it. And, you know, I have people that have been training with me for years, even online, you know, and it's amazing. And then I have people that sort of come and they go or, you know, so yeah. Um, I just got a bit carried away. I, I don't know if that answered your question. I was curious to sort of uh, think of, you know, when people come to you, what are the sort of common things they ask you? Is it normally like they see a skill that you perform and they're just like, you know, I I want that or is it phrased a little bit different? Yeah, I have that. Um, And then most, the most common one is people come to me and they say to me, and this is great because it actually allows me a lot of freedom in, in how to approach uh, their training. But they, they essentially, they say, Farid, I would like to move like you, something mm-hmm. along those lines, you know, yep. or to do what you're doing, uh, which is great because mm-hmm. we can then break down what it is that they need in order to get there. And then we address that. And then, you know, and so, so that allows that sort of the broad spectrum of that journey allows me a bit of freedom to really... Mm-hmm feel like I'm delivering something valuable because if someone comes to you and they say to you oh because I've had this before as well they say oh I want to learn they pick the hardest move in the whole vocabulary Mm -hmm. right and then they can't even you know you watch them jump or run and you're like this is a disaster (laughs) and so there's a huge gap between what they want to learn and maybe where they think they are versus what where they actually are and what Mm. they should be learning and so there's a conflict there in terms of you've got to then in some cases not shut the person down but tell them listen you you got to manage your expectations here and well there's a lot of other stuff we want to and then sometimes they like it sometimes they don't and so you've Mm -hmm. got to manage that so sometimes when people are quite specific with things it can be different difficult on that basis other times they want specific things but they're also they understand the process Mm. so there is a variety of different uh different reasons i suppose the the interesting one that i always sort of think about that i feel quite lucky about is that i think in my whole years of teaching i've had two people only ever say to me farad i want to lose weight uh, you know, can you help me lose weight? I want a beach body. I've only had two people ever say that to me, which I think is a, which I sort of take as a, 
as a, as a positive, as a bit of a compliment in terms of what I put out. You know, people know that that's not really what I'm about. Yeah, I think so. So, you know. so uh, yeah. And in terms of when someone asks you something like, oh, I want to move like you, I've gone through, you know, some of the stuff that you offer or how, how you move and it's it's very yeah. varied you know you've got all yeah. this ground movement i've seen you do parkour for a yes. while like jumping on yeah. all these trees so your your movement is quite varied so how do yes. you end up designing a process when someone asks you that question yeah so the process really the the sort of the key word of my process recently i've sort of realized is being over prepared I, w- I would like people that work with me to be over-prepared mm-hmm. so that they are able to encounter a variety of different movements and challenges and not feel in any way, shape or form physically compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's in and of itself, that approach is quite interesting because lots of most of us have some sort of weakness somewhere which needs mm-hmm. to be addressed, uh, whether that's physical in terms of strength or whether it's, uh, you know, in terms of your mobility or range of motion. So usually it starts with addressing that. Mm-hmm. And then by that point, we would have sort of figured out a little bit more about, you know, each other and the goals. And then we can sort of tailor it in terms of what sort of branch or area of movement they want to tackle. Some people like want to go down the parkour route, a bit more jumping, a bit more dynamic movement. Other people want the sort of soft acro groundwork floor work. And then we go that way. So um, yeah, some people want the inversion. Some people want just to become more mobile. Some, you know, Hmm. so there are loads of different branches of that movement tree uh, that I feel uh, yeah, I'm able to deliver and that people end up wanting to go down. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it bounces around. You know, I have people that want to do everything. They say to me, Farida, I want to do everything, you know, yeah. everything. And those are the people that have been training with me, you know, for for the longest. And mm. yeah, I watch them now and and yeah, it's amazing. I like this image of the of the tree. And I wanted to touch a little bit more on this concept of over-preparation. So yes. you mentioned strength and mobility. I think they're key attributes. Do you see any other sort of attributes or work that you think are critical when you're setting up this foundation of the tree? Yes, I would say the other one, which you could kind of tie into strength, but I like to separate them is sort of like rate of force development or power. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people's, I think the ability to exert power is physical power, you know, strength plus speed is a huge, huge pillar of movement, mm-hmm. a huge pillar of movement, hugely underrated as well. I think people don't spend enough time. They either want to add numbers to the barbell, mm-hmm. which equates to strength, or they want to, you know, add a reach to a forward fold, which equates to either mobility or flexibility. No mm-hmm. one really is talking about power. And I think that, um, I mean, of course, in, in, you know, if you go into sprinting or athletics, then, then they're talking about power, but in the, mm. In the sort of movement fitness community, not, you don't have that many people touching on that. And I think mm. power is a huge, huge attribute in terms of over-preparation, ease of movement, quality of movement. Mm. You know, if you were to ask someone, yeah, I suppose it's a bit like an attribute, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we should all know how far we can jump. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So if I was to walk down the street with you and say, oh, Phaeon, do you think you can jump between this slab of pavement and this one? You should be able to look at it and be like, yes, or mm. no, that looks too far. Most people have absolutely no idea how much power they can exert. Uh, and I think that's, mm. that's a problem. There's a sort of a mismatch there, I think. That's a really good point. Yeah, because all the sort of general messaging that you see is sort of more based upon, okay, what are the numbers that you can lift? Or even from the mobility perspective, if we start moving into like the the active mobility sort of world, there's still sort of like long active holds. And like recently I've been practicing more, you know, kicking and even like running and sprinting. And I can feel like the challenges placed on my body because yeah, I can reach some sort of positions, you know, such as a front split. But then when I'm trying to exert that power to really kick up, that's not comfortable for me at all. Yes. It really sucks actually. So (laughs) (laughs) you realize these huge gaps within your capabilities, which, which, which then go, okay, well, outside of that position, how can I really integrate that or, or use that in terms of actual physical movement? And it's a big gap. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. I, I agree with you. And I think in some way your rate of force development or being aware of it and working on that is a little bit of a bridge between being able to mm. do a front splits and being able to to use that front splits either mm. whether it's in a kick or maybe you need to leverage the the front split motion to do some sort of a cartwheel or an acrobatic movement or a transition mm. uh yeah i think the rate the rate of force development is a is a bridge between that and i think it's like a bit of an invisible bridge no one's really looking at it mm. so how does that actually look like when you're tasking people with their, with their training? Maybe if you can just give like a, a general example of how you'd include these or balance these attributes. Yeah. So let's, let's take, uh, you know, let's take like a back walkover, for example, it's like a base. Well, yeah, it actually is a basic gymnastics move, mm. you know, like that's one of the first things that, that the girls learn. Um, Obviously, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a basic move. The back walkover is very difficult. You know, if you were to take anyone off the streets, it would be very unlikely that anyone would be able to just do one. Uh, but the back walkover essentially is you start standing, you do a back bend, reach back to the floor, and then you're in a full back bend, and then you kick, kick over for anyone watching that's wondering. Um, and so that movement requires uh, some level of flexibility, but also some level of power and rate of force development in the in the sort of split leg motion in mm. two ways number one the kicking leg needs to draw enough power to to drive momentum and the base leg needs to have enough pushing power to mm. lift the hips and those combined end up making that movement easy um so yeah so you'd approach that movement you do a bunch of mobility and flexibility work to open up the back bend and then you might do a bunch of stuff to increase the 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 pushing power of the base leg so you might do things like back squats things like uh, hip thrusts mm. um you know and and you might even do box jumps you know plyometric jumps um, i'm guessing say those tools even like the back squat you modify that a little bit to um to to increase that power right rather than yes exactly 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 so you you might not do as many 
as many insane reps, but you might, you know, lower the rep count, change the way you perform it in terms of the tempo, hmm. um, and all that kind of stuff. And then, so yeah, and then you, yeah, and then you you do the same in terms of the the kicking leg. Hmm. You know, it, you, you could even go as far as to say some ballistic stretching, which is sort of looked massively looked down upon by hmm. by by certain people, but I think it's a very useful. Um, methodology it has mm. to be done properly but mm. there is certainly a, a space for ballistic stretching and, and mm. for anyone listening ballistic stretching is basically pulsing type of stretches you know sort of bouncing in and out of range mm-hmm. and yeah sure i wouldn't recommend that to anyone that's sort of not done any sort of physical preparation to start mm. doing ballistic stretching but there is a place for it um yeah so that's kind of how you'd mix that all up um because you, you could also say, you could also, and I've seen this, there are, there are humans out there that can do a back walkover that are not strong or powerful at all. Mm. And, and they're still doing the back walkover, but then you could argue it's a slightly compromised back walkover. You know, they're mm. doing it out of a, you know, their attributes are slightly skewed. So, you know, you, they'd have their f- flexibility really high, maybe even passive flexibility really high, mm. and their power will be here. And then their strength will be somewhere here and they can just do it because they're really flexible. And then what ends up happening is at some point you'll pay the price for the mismatch in your attributes. You know, they might slam into joints as a result. Uh, Yeah. They just might use joints a little bit too aggressively. Mm -hmm. And then at some point they might pay the price. So I think trying to balance the attributes um, Mm. is, is uh, of, of massive importance. And it comes as this sort of, this sort of under the umbrella of over preparation. And how much do you think that you can just develop by trying to do the thing as opposed to using other tools to help supplement the thing? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think you can get pretty far trying to do the thing, you know, um, yeah, but at some point you might, again, you might end up paying a price. Mm-hmm. You might end up paying a price because yeah, like I said, there are, there are many different ways to do the thing. Mm-hmm. And if you are doing it in one way, you know, let's say flexibility focus, like say there's a movement that requires like the back walk over, let's say again, you know, you're slamming into, you're using your pure flexibility and there's not much strength in there. You'll get the pattern doing the thing is good to get the pattern Mm -hmm. but then inside of that you might be causing other problems so yeah it's it's effective in that in order to get learn a new pattern you'll need to do that Mm -hmm. but yeah there might you might open yourself up to another problem at some point yeah it's always interesting because sometimes you see like uh these kids maybe in like brazil or wherever right and they're yes like doing these crazy things right and you wonder it's like are they taking their training to all these technical levels or are they just jumping into it and just just doing it yes yes it's true yeah they're they're doing all sorts of crazy thing barefoot on concrete Mm. um but actually yeah i suppose my, my my thoughts on that are sort of twofold number one is we wonder whether they take their training seriously, but actually sometimes when I think about it, I think they do. Mm-hmm. I think they sort of spend a lot of time together and, 
figure out different ways of doing things and maybe they don't have a huge science behind it like some people do but i do think i do think they're adaptable and number two i think you know they grow up outside you know, it's also very different to us. We go to school and sit on chairs every day, and I'm sure they do. But then maybe we want to just go home and play the Xbox. Yeah. Maybe they don't have that luxury. So what do they do? They go outside and play and be physical. And that buffer, that window maybe is where we can say, oh, maybe they have prepared a bit more than mm. than than we would have or, you know, than the other kid that goes home and plays Xbox would have. And I think it's very different when you're starting to approach it as like a 25 or 30 or 40 year old versus when you're 10, Absolutely. 15. Absolutely. As well. There's a huge window. There's a huge margin for error there as well. Mm. Absolutely. So, so I wanted to ask you just generally, like how has your practice evolved over the years? So you mentioned, you know, there was a time where you're practicing like a madman. Yes. So, yeah, how did how did this all start for you? What happened during that period? And then now you're saying, you know, you're concentrating on other things. So maybe, yeah, I'd love to be brought on that journey through throughout. Yeah, so um so I, I started off at quite a young age at school. Um uh, my school was um well essentially I, I, I think I saw a, a Jackie Chan film, which was I believe was first strike. And in that mm-hmm. film, obviously Jackie Chan's a stunt man. Mm-hmm. And in that film, he was sort of getting away from, I think it was a chase scene and he was escaping from people and he was mm-hmm. doing all these incredible things. And I was massively inspired by that. Uh, there was just something about that that really resonated with me. Just watching him get himself out of trouble using his body, I thought to myself, man, we all, we're all in, you know, obviously we, we might not end up in the same situation as him being chased by gangsters mm-hmm. with guns, but it just sort of the message was, man, he's really useful, that guy, and he's really strong. Mm-hmm. That was the sort of message that I that was being thrown at me. Um, and I, it resonated with that massively. So, and so, so my school happened to be architecturally very good for things like parkour, which at the time was completely unknown. Nobody knew what parkour was. Mm. So I essentially thought that I invented parkour, but it turns <laughs> out that I didn't, unfortunately. Um, and so, so... Yeah, so I started doing that, you know, climbing around at school, balancing on rails, trying to go over and under rail. You know, my playground had one long rail just in the middle of the playground. God knows why. And I'd sort of gather up all my friends and we'd come up with all different types of ways of going over and under the rail and balance. How long can you balance on it? And it was all like games and Mm -hmm. yeah, it was really fun. So that's kind of how it started. And then I realized I really liked jumping. So I thought, what sport can I play that has the most jumping? And it turned out that after school basketball was on Fridays. So I joined the after school basketball club. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we sort of, this is quite a cool story. We kept running on top of the, the PE is physical education at our schools. We called, it was called PE. We kept on running on top of the PE block office uh so our PE teachers would like run out of the office and they would see us on the roof and and then we were just like jumping across because there was a tiny gap and we'd jump across the roof and they were sort of terrified and then eventually I ended up you know begging one of my PE teachers to get us a coach Mm -hmm. um because we used to sneak into gym three so there were three gyms at our school and gym three had all the gymnastics equipment so we used to sneak in there after school as well and we'd always get caught you know 
um, we had about five minutes in there before we knew we were going to be heard. So <laughs> we were like, let's do get timer on five minutes like we would get all the mats out like literally just make a mess of the place but actually mm -hmm. try and train mm -hmm. and then the, you know mr arnett bless him he was our PE teacher paul arnett used to come in and be like guys can you get out so we begged him one day to get us a coach and he sort of kind of bargained we initially he didn't want to he was like nah it's not enough interest and then we sort of bargained with him we said we promised him we would come every tuesday we would commit and he said, I'll think about it. And then a couple of weeks later, he's like, guys, I got you a coach. That's so he amazing. came through, you know, huge, huge. I always think about him, Mr. Arnett. He got mm. us a, a really cool, like, a cool sort of level two. He was a pretty basic gymnastics coach. He was called Danny, the coach. And he was like, you know, at the time, I think he was 23 and we were like 15. So he was like the coolest guy on <laughs> earth. You know, we were like, oh, my God, he could do a bag flip and all this kind of stuff. So we basically learned gymnastics with Danny after school. And then I was playing basketball on Fridays. And then at the same time, I was playing every lunchtime and every after school, uh, inventing parkour with my mates. So it was a pretty busy training schedule, you can imagine. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of how it started. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, I found it really interesting that, you know, you were on this, you were having to ask and, you know, use this term like begging to to, to yeah. Play, right? um, when they have this amazing physical education space and that uh, that the expectation is that you know you guys were kind of just causing a ruckus or not, yeah yeah not doing the right thing yeah i mean in their defense in their defense our pe teachers were great they mm -hmm. were great they were really nice to us they unfortunately had to kick us out of there because no one was supervising us mm -hmm. but you know you know, he did come through on the promise. He got us a coach. He could have just completely ignored it. So, you know, he did come through on that. And I remember sometimes, uh, I hope he doesn't get in trouble. No, he won't get in trouble for this. But I remember sometimes he was leaving school and we were up on the roof and then we'd mm. come down and he was like, all right, guys, I'm going to go home now. I know that you won't jump on the roof. I'm going now. Bye. Kind of vibe. And he <laughs> knew, you know, he, of course he knew he was basically telling us we shouldn't be doing it, but if we are going to do it, be careful. Yep. That's kind of what I felt he was trying to tell us. Mm -hmm. And so we respected him for that, you know, and you know, we did take it seriously. You know, we weren't like, you know, we weren't vandalizing anything. We mm -hmm. weren't like graffitiing or anything. We were just actually training and we, we had respect for them. So it was a great sort of, yeah, I feel like growing up, I had a great experience with, sort of great introduction in a weird way to the world of movement. Yeah. Mm. It was all quite and, organic and natural. Yeah. It sounds like the way you approach training during those days was really like from this sense of play, right? And you got your mates around and you're just yes. having this curiosity to try different things. So once you started getting uh, introduced, you know, to the, to this gymnastics and things like that, is that where it started becoming a bit more formalized? Was there something or also in your head where you're like, Oh, maybe this is something that I can do as a career. Yeah. Well, actually it sort of became a job on sort of, it just almost happened to me in that I can't actually remember exactly how, but I remember we got a, somehow we ended up on a music video. <laughs> so we yeah an, an actual music video yeah i mean the guy wasn't very big at the time i think he's called nate james mm -hmm. i don't know if he's a big deal he, i don't think he was a big deal at the time anyway but but you know the job was real you know like we we got called in to do some 
some movement for that video you know we had to do some rolls and some floor work um and a bit of parkour and they dressed us up in costume and you know they hired a whole uh you know we were inside a theater that they had hired for the day so and we were like 17 or something you know mm -hmm. it was like big you know for us it was like the big league and so that's when i sort of realized oh, i should probably not that i wasn't taking it seriously but i, I realized wow this is quite a serious avenue here you know something i should be taking this seriously hmm. uh, and so that's kind of when yeah i suppose that was a bit of a turning of a page in the book where i was like mm, training is serious maybe it can turn into something hmm. and yeah. that point was that because you mentioned that you're not like a performer were you yes. performing earlier on or were you always going down this teaching route no, I started off being called to do a bunch of those jobs. So that was the first one, I believe. And then ever since I ended up doing a bunch of other like kind of commercial jobs, basically. Mm. Um, where, you know, they would like, we did the, uh, this was probably the biggest one and it was actually really fun. Um, but at the same time, it, by that point, it was a bit draining. And that's when I realized maybe I w would like to do something else with movement still but not performing we got asked to do the the twilight premiere twilight's like that vampire film um which unfortunately was totally wasted on me because i didn't know anything about it <laughs> uh, but you know lo and behold we were asked to do the premiere so we were meant to do lots of movement on the red carpet and they addressed us up as the werewolves so we right. had like the contact lenses and the fake tattoos and you know like the ripped up shorts and we were like climbing up in the middle of leicester square you know like london's yeah. kind of media hub and all the actors were there and there were people you know we were rehearsing for this for like two weeks and there were people that had flown in from the states that were camping outside of the green like and they'd been there for two weeks and we mm -hmm. you know we were like did you guys come for the premiere They're like yeah yeah we've been camping here for like eight days already. Like we're just sleeping out here waiting for the, it's like, whoa, like it's just mad. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, you know, so I sort of, you know, we, we had lots of rehearsals and we had to train for that and, and all that kind of stuff. So, but then at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, it was just like, you just kind of got a pat on the back, like, thank you boys. Like get out of here now, you know, it's done. And then, you know, by that point, you've done like two weeks of hardcore movement on concrete and you're like, mm, my body's feeling this. I don't think anyone's really, I don't think anyone here cares, <laughs> you know, mm. so I've got to care. I've got to take this into my own hands. Is this something I want to be doing long term? Is it, you know, so it's definitely a young man's game. And so I started, uh, I didn't actually know at the time, but I did feel like that was the first sort of compromise that I felt with the work, the line of work I was doing, but I had no idea I was going to end up teaching. Yeah. There's a, I've heard this before from some other performers as well. It's a very different orientation, right? Cause you're just preparing your body just to do the thing in the moment yeah. Yeah. and it can sit at odd ends to maybe a more, longevity based practice or something that's going to feel really good in the body because you're just yeah. drilling that whatever same thing over and over so that you can just do it like that but then yes, inside yes. you could be hurting really badly yeah 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 I, I i didn't get to that point luckily but i i was quick to notice that it could get to that point and that mm. no one no one out there was really looking out for me you know it was like mm. thank you guys you just did 100 back somersaults 
go get a drink at the bar and mm-hmm. we'll never see you again kind of vibe or whatever, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, maybe we'll call you on the next one, but then the next one will be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So I had to sort of take it into my own hands, but, but yeah, I mean, at the time I had no idea how. Yeah. So where did you start searching or what did you start asking of yourself? I, I just kept training also because I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it was what I wanted to be doing with my time, mm-hmm. you know, so it didn't ever get to the point for me where I was like doing it as a job and I dreaded it. I still wanted to be training. And then um, I was asked by a friend of mine called um, Callum. He asked me to, he told me that um, another friend of his called Dean, uh, I think it's easier if I just say the names. So Callum uh, was my mate. And he said that his friend Dean had started a bereavement charity in the East London area. Mm-hmm. And that Dean wanted two coaches, two movement coaches to come and deliver sessions for the kids that were part of the bereavement charity because there wasn't that much help in the UK at the time. I don't know if there is now even in terms of the National Health Service for bereavement. Mm-hmm. So he and, and Dean lost his brother in a, in a traffic accident in Thailand and he mm-hmm. was sort of, you know, bereaved and stuck for help. So he decided to take that into his own hands and start his own charity. And part of that was to get the kids movement sessions. So he got Callum on board and Callum kept asking me. And I was like, at the time I was still a bit young and I was still too busy training. So I said, Oh, I don't want to do it. I'm too busy training, you know, and I still had a bunch of jobs lined up. So, you know, I was still busy, you know, and in the end, you know, because I, you know, obviously Callum is my friend and the cause seemed really legit. I said to them, I said, look, I'll come and do a few and um until you can find someone else and then when you find someone else i'll i'll jet out and then you guys will be sorted and i did the first session and i absolutely loved it it was like the best thing ever we had 20 like super hungry like ready to go kids like looking at us they already we were like pre-validated because they had like dean had shown them videos of us and they already thought we were the coolest cats on earth and it was kind of like how we looked at danny our old gymnastics coach it was a bit that sort of replaying itself Mm -hmm. so i totally related to the situation and i absolutely loved those kids and i ended up working with them for like i think it was like four years and then awesome the 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 thing got disbanded and that's how i started teaching yeah ah awesome so from that point on then you started adopting more of this role as the teacher and uh, absolutely absolutely and then i stopped the commercial performance work yeah Hmm. And at that time with your training, like you've mentioned it just more as a general sort of form of training, but what, what did that actually look like? Was that like, you know, a lot of acrobatics or was it quite varied with, you know, still the parkour type practice? How would you describe it? Uh, my own training or what I was delivering? Uh, what, you, what you were doing throughout that time? Uh, yeah, so I would say it was sort of soft acrobatic work um because sometimes when you you get told to go on a job even on a on a on a parkour job this happened so many times Fayon. i I can't even tell you they would say yeah we got a parkour job uh and then they would show us the 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 setting and then there was nothing to do anything on and obviously parkour is a is a is a discipline which requires you to interact with the environment you know Mm. climbing running jumping 
you know, whatever rolling over stuff. And they, they would just, there would be a flat room and they'd be like, right guys, go do some parkour now. And it's like, guys, come on. <laughs> so, so I had to sort of, yeah. So I had to pull on all of my strings in terms of my versatility in order to be able to deliver something that they thought was parkour. And that was also visually appealing for whatever the job was. So at that time it was a bit more floor work, soft acro sort of interesting movements on the floor that are quite visually, some of the stuff that you see essentially on, on my, on my Instagram page. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, maybe a bit more dynamic, you know, with a bit more of a sort of big, gymnastics to style finish at the end kind of vibe mm. yeah i find this always like the the challenge maybe sometimes communicating what you enjoy or what you do to a wider audience like what you mentioned yeah. there they're like go do parkour and then uh, empty room there's quite a big mismatch <laughs> to, to, absolutely absolutely yeah yeah so how, how do you go about doing it now in terms of maybe how do you describe what you teach or what you enjoy doing to somebody within this sort of a movement space versus someone that you might be passing on the street. Yeah. So in the end, I sort of became numb to it. I, I knew, or I was, I was ready for people to offer up a parkour job and then give me an empty studio. So I was sort of like, okay, sweet. I'll just switch it up. So that became kind of running on autopilot. I wasn't really that fast. And I think in that realm, you can't, you don't really, people just don't have time to communicate with you. There are like a hundred other people lining up to do the audition. If you're, if you're asking too many questions, they'll just pick the next guy. Mm. So in that realm that gets lost. But in terms of what I tell people I do, it's kind of changed actually, but recently I've, I've sort of realized that, you know, as a result of, you know, touching on the communication a little bit, as a result of being able to communicate with people a little bit better, I realized that I, enjoy um i enjoy i enjoy it for example if somebody's been working with me for a few months and they come back and they say to me and i don't care if this is benign to me because i understand the value of it but i've had people say to me you know oh my god i dropped my spoon under the sofa and i didn't feel like it was a horror show picking it up you know mm -hmm. <clears throat> I had a lady say, told me that she, she finally, you know, built up the courage to like set up her ladder and go up into the loft, hmm. you know, and that kind of stuff is what I'm like, is what really sort of makes me, uh, that's what I enjoy about my work. That's kind of what I feel is the value. Um, and, and then there are various degrees to that. You know, I, I get really healthy people that love training that have the same enthusiasm when they say to me, Oh my God, I just did my first press handstand, you mm -hmm. know, and I can relate to that as well, you know? So yeah, I guess that feedback really is what drives me. And that's, yeah, that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but, but yeah. So essentially I want to give what I say, sometimes I get asked on the plane, you know, what do you do? I say, I work with movement. I help people with their mobility and their flexibility. And essentially I, I, I help people to feel better in their bodies, you know, to mm -hmm. tackling whatever it is they need to do, whether it's throwing a leg over their motorcycle or crouching down to pick up a spoon they dropped or skiing or whatever, you know, I have people from all walks of life and there are areas of their lives in which they can feel physically better, whether it's for their activity or whether it's for just pottering around at home and living their life. 
And that's where I come in. Hmm. I think that's really nicely put because it, I think movement comes to you at different sort of aspects and then, you know, different sort of levels. And, you know, for that yeah. guy that wants the pressed handstand, you know, that that's awesome. Right. When, when he finally yeah. gets it, it's like a piece of magic, but then the magic also is when you're not expecting it. And sometimes when you just have to crouch down, pick up something and you're like, Oh, this is actually just really easy now. Yeah. 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 The, 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 the next step to that magic is you could have, you know, Mr. Press handstand who's then, you know, he has to like carry a bunch of logs for his wood fire and he picks them up in a weird way and he feels his shoulder a bit funny, but he completely gets away with it. And mm -hmm. why did he get away with it as a result of all of the training he's done? Mm -hmm. You know, and those moments are, are so important. And I think, you know, I've had plenty of moments in my sort of life where I've thought to myself, if I hadn't trained, I would have been in a way worse position now. And physically, you know, physically yeah. and even mentally, you know, um, all sorts of injuries. You know, I've had people say, oh, I, uh, you know, I, I pulled my sheets and I did my shoulder in, you know, I was changing my sheets in my bed. That's unacceptable. Mm. You know, it's yeah. unacceptable. You shouldn't be at a condition where you cannot operate and do daily basic tasks and they are a compromise to your physicality. I think that's unacceptable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And in terms of your own development, when you reflect back, what's been like the most challenging for you to overcome or to learn? Uh, from a physical standpoint or mentally or what, what can you elaborate a bit, Fayon? Help me out here. Yeah, maybe if we can try from a physical standpoint, maybe like a, a skill or an aspect you were trying to, to master or to learn and it. it just didn't come. Got it. Uh, definitely um, sort of rhythmicality. Anything to do with dance and when there's music involved, it's really, really challenging for me, really. I, I did some... I did some breakdance sessions. I did some private breakdance sessions with a really cool guy called Flash Jordan here in the UK. Um, and, you know, he was sort of, and, and he, he said to me, what do you want to learn? And he thought, obviously, that I was going to say, oh, all the power moves, I want to learn all the crazy. And I just said, dude, I just want to top rock. Can you help me top rock? You know, I just want to dance. I want to move a bit. And he was like, whoa, okay. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> he thought I was going to want to do the windmills and the flares and all that stuff. And I just said, I just... And, you know, I would stand next to him in the mirror and he would be showing me how to do the thing. And when I'm watching him do it, I'm just like, he has so much bizarre, so much swag. He just does it, you know, just the way his joints move. Mm -hmm. And I just can't replicate that to this day. That's not to say I never will be, but that's something that I struggle with. You know, I watch myself and I just feel like, I feel like the, the Hulk who's been stared down by Medusa <laughs> And he's trying to like get out of her grasp, her stony eyed grasp. That's what it made me feel like. So yeah, that's definitely the biggest challenge. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, you know, that's something that I struggle with myself, you know, any yeah. sort of form, form of dance and, you know, I'm doing capoeira at the moment and just yeah. make, just making the jinga look really sexy, you know, really natural. You can see the guys, they just really feel it within their bodies. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I get it technically, but yeah exactly there's, some, there's something missing you know like what something is that? missing yeah that i'm still trying to find that in in certain areas certainly in breakdance i, I can't get that yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, really nice. Um, so, you know, taking it across to maybe your, your teaching now at the moment. So, yeah. you know, recently, so you started teaching, you know, with these, um, with these kids and then from there, it was starting to go on to sort of like one-to-one sort of coaching with people. And then now more recently I've seen, yeah, you grow more of an online presence, which has been really exciting with um, offering courses. You've got this app um, offer as well and the online coaching, which you've been mentioning as well. So yeah. How have you sort of uh, been thinking about that transition away from in-person coaching to these more online offerings yeah so it's not something that i actually was very keen to do at the beginning um and so the story of my online training actually started very uh almost very i guess organically it certainly wasn't a plan for me to be like i'm gonna start my online training empire it was actually was actually that i was in touch with a guy from lebanon uh, a really, really nice guy. He's a good friend of mine now. And he um, he wanted to do online training. He had done online training with some coaches before and he was struggling or whatever. And he said to me, Farad, you do online training. So he was already familiar with it. And I, I wasn't that familiar with it. And I said, no, I don't really do that. And he basically kept asking me. He kept, he just He was just like, you know, please, can we work some, can you, you know? And then I said to him, I eventually, I, I agreed. I was just super honest with him. I said to him, look, I don't have anything. So I, I initially, I just filmed all of my first videos were just for him. Mm-hmm. Like I had no library. I had no, I just had nothing. So I said, look, just show me where you're at with what you want to achieve. And I'm just going to film yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to write you a program and send you some videos. So I did. And he absolutely loved it. And he want, he sent me a video. I think this was like, a, I don't know, a couple of weeks in or maybe a, a couple of months in and maybe even he sent me a video and he was trying to learn about walkover and he had built himself this really cool, like uh, sort of like a triangular block of wood and he would measure how low his feet were on the wood as oh, he was nice. doing his walkover. So mm-hmm. I thought it was really clever. And, you know, he'd been doing it from the top, top of this, the, his wedge and he never got it. And then anyway, he sends me this video once and he's sort of crawling down the, the, the wedge and he's sort of doing a few jumps, which was part of his work. And then he does one and he starts hovering and then he just makes it all the way over and he gets up and he just starts screaming. He's like, ah, like that. And I was like, oh my God, he just sent me that. He didn't say anything to me. And I was like, wow, you know, like I was like, this stuff works. You know, you can do this stuff online. And he was just screaming in the video and he was so happy and he sent me a message and he, you know, and then, so that's basically how it started from that day. I was like, yeah, this is wicked. I should probably be investing more time into this. Mm. And that's how kind of how it started. So initially all my videos were literally filmed in my house. Like I didn't even go to a gym. They were just mm-hmm. filmed in my house and they were specifically for this guy. Mm-hmm. And then I started refilming everything with a more a general approach, uh, you know, and with narration that wasn't that didn't have his name in it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, so then that's kind of how it started. 
How would you describe your different offerings and who they may be for? Like who would benefit for maybe the app training versus doing one of the courses versus getting more one-to-one type coaching? Yeah. So the app and the course is somewhat similar. Uh, The only real difference between those two is the price point. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason, uh, yeah, the reason I ended up doing those two different mediums is because I can offer, uh, you know, people that don't really, that that for the courses that are unaccessible in terms of, you know, money unaffordable for them, they can use the app. Um, so the price point's different. The courses and the app, I would say, are both for people that are um, quite self-reliant. You know, you, you have to be relatively motivated um, because I'm not going to be there asking you every two weeks to send me your video. You know, uh, you just have to get it done. And, and so I, I suppose that's the that's part of the the app and and course format the courses are slightly less broad the app is very broad so for people that have a broad interest in movement the app would be great the courses are very specific um you know one is on squat mobility one is on the movement the elbow lever which is quite a a very interesting very fun but quite a difficult movement Mm -hmm. and then one of them is on the macaco which is a sort of a backwards walkover it's another very awesome movement and that one has a lot of back bends and bridge so if you're into that kind of stuff i would suggest getting the course if you just want to move and mobilize every day and learn a few patterns and slightly have a broader perspective then the app will be better suited Mm -hmm. and they both have different price points but yeah both of those you need to be a bit more self-reliant you need to be a bit more motivated and the online coaching is a slightly more premium service but um, you also need to be motivated but uh, there's a lot more accountability because i'm directly involved with that so i'm asking my students to send me videos every two weeks and Mm -hmm. you know they pay a premium and then we have feedback sessions so it's a lot more involved and when someone starts coming to you for say one-to-one coaching and it's early on in the process, what are the types of questions or the tasks that you ask them to record so that you can start getting to understand where they're at and who they are? Yeah. So I usually ask them for a goal list. So that what are your goals? What do you want to do? Uh, I need a broad list and a specific list. So I need a broad, anything broad, you know, I want to move, I want floor work, I want this, I want to feel good broad. And then I need specific things as well, just so it helps me build a better picture. Uh, I ask them what their sort of physical background is. Uh, I also have a section where I leave it open. I say, if there's anything else you want to mention that you feel you need to, that you feel, you know, whatever, you can put it in this section. And then I also um, ask them for a list of sort of physical, quite basic physical benchmarks. There's a list of, I think, 13 things that I need to see in there is included, you know, like a forward fold, uh, you know, a bridge, if they want to do a handstand, handstand attempt, overhead shoulder. There's about 13 or I can't remember, maybe a bit more things that I need to see. And then with all of that and a a sort of a Zoom chat, a consultation, I can start getting to know um, what what will work and what style uh, to go, in in what way to go about working with this person. Mm -hmm. Some people need to be left alone. Other people need constant attention. 
so so it just kind of depends but yeah that's the that's the good thing about the online coaching is they have access to me uh whenever they want and you know going back to this concept that we talked from before about this uh, you know the, the the tree and building that capacity you know yes. do, you, do you view are there any sort of like basic foundational positions or movements that you think you know where everyone should be covering and if you want to get into this type of training you need to be hitting these these like i don't want to say oh, like benchmarks because then you're like okay you're at a good level yeah there are a few the the tr number one the triple extension pattern i would argue is the most useful you're basically you can't get away you can't go a single day without doing for people that don't know real quick the triple extension is the extension of three the three bottom joints uh, mm -hmm. of your body so the ankle the knee and the hip and when they extend they open it's basically if you do a jump you're going into triple extension mm -hmm. and triple flexion so it's essentially a squat uh, and that but not limited to the squat right it can be a jump it can be a lunge it can be a unilateral you know it's not limited to the squat but that kind of realm of pattern is really really important um and and that can be assessed and looked at from a mobility standpoint from a strength standpoint from a gait standpoint some people you ask them to jog 10 meters and it's like it's like watching someone who's been shot with a tranquilizer dart you know or whatever you know and that's a problem you know people can't run properly so so the triple extension pattern is really important and then in order to really make movement quite broad and exciting you also need to be able to invert to sort of go upside down you need to be able to change your you know your internal gyroscope needs to know what the heck's happening when it's when it's placed in all sorts of positions so inversion would be one and then back bending would be another so this sort of again the gyroscope almost never goes back and as soon as you know I, I, uh, you obviously know who Mike Tyson is, uh, Fionn. Mm -hmm, of course. I don't know if you've heard his famous quote. He says, uh, "You, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've heard that <laughs> one. Well, I, I, I love Mike Tyson and I've modified his quote. And I said, everyone's got a plan until they go upside down. Mm -hmm. You know, you think you know what the heck's going on and you're all in control. And then you go upside down in an inversion and all of a sudden, all of your rib you know posterior tilt and all the cues that you think you know have just gone down the drain so that to me is really important um i mean growing up we used to we used to look at all the trampoline athletes and and they were always the ones that you would pick out of trampolining and put them anywhere else and they were just they were sort of you know a good couple of notches above everyone else mm -hmm. because they spend their time you know jumping and upside down and twisting and gyrating and their awareness and proprioception is just on a complete other level and as a result they can do a bunch of other stuff that we can't do so yeah so triple extension inverting going backwards uh, are three things that i think will make a complete mover you know, awesome yeah and you, you know you, you you could tumble in an accident I, i've tumbled off my bicycle for example mm -hmm. and what's happening you're gyrating you know your gyroscope's being shook and spun and you need to be able to rearrange your body in those situations i think in order it, yeah just to have good complete movement mm. um and I, yeah 
how did you go in that um when you when you fell off did something automatic just click into you absolutely to the point where i basically got a crosswind hit me on my bicycle as mm. i was trying to i was riding no hands trying to put my gloves on and i got mm. hit by a crosswind just outside a construction site so i got blown off my bicycle and i basically hopped off managed to do like a forward roll and i just stood up and i was like getting up to go get my bike and all the builders were like whoa that was amazing i was like dudes i just i just crashed <laughs> like nobody even asked me how i'm doing like if i'm all right they just assumed i was all right so i mean rightly so i what i did end up being okay but i did think that you know going back to what we were saying remember i said there have been points in my life where i thought to myself if i hadn't done movement before i'd have been way worse off that was one of them mm-hmm. and those things are bound to happen to everyone you know everyone in everyone living right now is going to go through some sort of physical challenge or puzzle or riddle such as that can be an accident can be something else can be being attacked god forbid but Mm -hmm. we're all going to go through something that will require us to be physical and to be adept physically and believe me you will think to yourself hopefully you will be thinking to yourself i was way better off because i did movement rather than Mm. shit i missed the boat on that i did you know i'm 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 worse off now yeah Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you harnessed your inner Jackie Chan in the moment. When... I did indeed, yes. <laughs> After all those years of work, you bloody hope that I'd managed. <laughs> and apart from like the physical, technical work that you uh, task students with, are there any sort of core principles or ideas that you also try and help spread to get them to understand with the work? Uh yeah it's quite yeah it's quite i suppose it's quite individual some people need to be told not to take themselves too seriously Mm -hmm. you know other people on the other hand need to be told you need to take yourself more seriously you know lack of confidence overconfidence and and all those things i think can be achieved through a physical practice and so i think yeah i think on that basis it sort of depends who i'm working with but yeah i i think i i would hope and i and i do think so at least i've been told uh that i've helped to empower a few people in my work in mm-hmm. the past and they say they've said to me you know i feel so much more assertive as a result of working with you and working on my body uh you know not not from a from an aesthetic standpoint just from the lessons that you learn from putting yourself through a hard physical practice and coming out the other side Mm. and developing, you know, more of yourself in terms of your physical attributes. It can be proprioceptions. It could be foresight. It could be anticipation. It could be balance. It could be coordination. It could be anything. You come out the other side and you're just more robust uh, and you're able to go into that maybe more mundane life situation with a bit more of a, an assertive, persona about you and i think in that respect i i think that's definitely something that i i i hope to give people because i think that's something that i've taken from my movement practice um, mm. and then other times i think yeah people need to to humble themselves a bit <laughs> you know and and that's also part of the game i think they can also do that through their physical practice there are loads of humble pies to be to be eaten on that journey mm. so 
I think trying to trying to walk the tightrope between those two is definitely uh, something that I find really interesting. And yeah, I think the physicality, my line of work, allows me to explore it a bit. Yeah. Mm. So now I wanted to dig into, you know, a lot of the stuff that you share is with this soft acro floor work or, you know, term it locomotion as well. So when you're introducing this type of practice, you know, we're moving beyond the the capability tree now, maybe someone's there, you know, they got the sort of basis set up, good power, good strength, good mobility. How do you start introducing this sort of work to them? Are there basic foundational movements or kind of preferred movements that you like to go to, to, uh, for them to start practicing? Yeah, I quite like the, uh, well, oftentimes I'll actually start designing uh, set sequences for the people. Mm-hmm. So I will have a bunch of students who have learned all of the movements and depending on what I think their weaknesses are or watching them move, what they tend to try and avoid, I will actually design a sequence for them to work on, to go away and work on. And they've got Mm -hmm. to come back and, and sort of work on that. It's a little bit like a project. Um, I also set sort of more improvisational tasks um, where I say, I want you to pick five movements out of this basket and I need you to put a timer on, move for X amount of time and you need to go through each of those movements, both sides, at least once. (laughs) You know, for example. um, Yeah, so I I think that's one of the ways I would do it. Um, Yeah, I think, yeah, does that answer your question? Was there another part to that question? I can't remember. Yeah, no, no, that that that, that was um, uh, that answered the question. And so, with sequencing, yes, how, how how do you think about this? Because you know, I myself practice sometimes. You know, these individual movements, especially ones that you're just trying yeah. to get, and then the test is when trying to transition in and out of those. So, yes. how do you think about it for for yourself in terms of like? Because I see you posting a lot of these you know very creative sequences yes launch straight into it or beforehand you're like oh you know i want to do this into this into this into this and then you do it personally i have on on a given day i will sort of take a moment to feel where i'm at in my body and maybe what i feel like doing Mm -hmm. um because oftentimes i think we should especially when we're training and we're playing we should take a moment to try and pinpoint what we actually feel like doing instead of maybe what's written down on the sheet mm-hmm. or the whiteboard, you know, because after all the practice should be serving us in some way in terms of our, you know, happiness and, you know, feeling good. Um, so I'll, I'll take a moment and sometimes I'll feel, ah, oh, today I really feel like bridging. I'm totally up for it. I, my body feels super loose and open and so I'll think to myself, I'm going to do a combination that's going to revolve around the bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of how I'll start. And then I may have, you know, two moves in mind, for example, maybe a rotation to bridge. And then I might also be like, oh, I'd like to put a handstand in there somewhere. So then I'll get to work and I'll start thinking, I suppose a bit like an architect would, how can I create a stairwell here or whatever? How can I create a transition here? And And I have gone back to my Instagram and thought, oh, I've done that one already. What else can I do? So I also find that really useful. Um, It is like a bit of a journal 
you know, you look back and you're like, mm, I've done this one already. This is my go-to. Maybe I need to find something else here. So you start a new project and I, and I, I sort of do that for a bit. Uh, and then I sort of construct a sequence and that's the training. Sometimes it'll be trial, trial and error. Mm-hmm. I'll come up with things in my head and I'll try and it actually doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes because I'm not prepared, like I just, the thing was too insane or other times just because it just, it's clunky and it just doesn't work. Mm. So that's one way that I do it. And another thing that I uh, really, really like, which I took from uh, the dance world, which is the sort of uh, concept of the spiral. So I always say to myself, okay, if I start spiraling right, maybe I'll also carry on spiraling right. Mm -hmm. And so that also directionally uh, helps me to create the sequence. Um, and, And yeah, and there are times where, yeah, you can sort of change the spiral naturally and other times where you sort of stop and you want to go the other way and then you know you've lost it you know and and so that really helps me out as well um yeah so based on personal feeling you know what i'm doing has to feel good to me as well Hmm. it's not i'm not just putting on a show you know i'm not performing essentially i'm not doing this for anyone else i'm just doing stuff that i enjoy uh, and I've journaled it and I also find it super interesting to share on, on social media, you know, loads of people seem to benefit from it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. This concept of like the spirals of the momentum transfer feels really, really nice, right? Because you, you just keep on flowing and yeah, it, it just goes, it makes the next movement easier. Right. And then if you try something else that's sort of counter it, like I know myself, then you kind of get stuck and then you're kind of staring on the floor and you're like, Oh, what's yeah. happening? <laughs> yeah. And I guess taking a step back and being like, okay, this is the project. How can I, how can I continue on this sequence, you know, and, and, and not make it feel this way. You know, you get your mm-hmm. feedback of you hit the wall, you've broken the spiral and you want to go the other way, you know, you know, a lot of people talk about, I think in the movement culture, you know, improvisation has been, sort of put on a pedestal you know lots of people think that's the pinnacle of journey and and in some ways i agree it is but in other ways having a project that you sort of have a basic blueprint for is also hugely valuable you know you see you see this happen a lot of people you know they're rebuilding a car and they're like this is what it's going to look like and they dig into that project and they make that end result happen Mm -hmm. that's not really improvisation but it's still just amazing to go in and be like, I have a project today. I would like to do X, Y, Z movements. Uh, and if I run into a spiral at some point that breaks, I'm going to have to deal with that, mm. you know, and that's, I really enjoy that almost sometimes more than improvising. Mm. I, well, I think there's always some form of boundaries, right? Even with improvisation, you, you know, sometimes you, you might have some concept or a rule in your head and then, yeah approach a a more defined sequence that's just more defined boundaries right and but this can still be very chaotic because maybe you know it's on the edge of your skill level it's very new to you as well so yes to uh, like i know for me when i do these it's still it's still very novel right and i think that's where a yes. lot of the joy comes from because it's like well i, I suck at this and that, that's why it's also enjoyable yes agreed agreed yeah i mean i think of improvisation as uh, you know, the ultimate form of chaos. So like, let's say you are playing tennis with someone 
that is improvisation mm. because you're getting that ball back. You have no idea if they're going to throw a forehand or a backhand that you got to improvise. Mm. Or if you're playing jujitsu, you know, you're rolling with someone, you have no idea. You really have to improvise when you're on your own. You can definitely do what you've just said, which is set some basic blueprints, some basic limitations and then work around those. Mm -hmm. And that's also, uh, that's also super viable. I'm more project orientated. I quite like having, getting in there, seeing how I feel, um, and then sort of, yeah, constructing something. Um, but, but yeah, but, but on, on other occasions, I, yeah, I think it's hugely valuable to, to say, oh, I'm going to set this boundary and I'm going to work around this. Mm -hmm. So have you ever taken any sort of uh, workshops uh, before? And if so, you know, what's the material that you present there? Um, I, what have I done? I, the, the first workshop, I would like to say maybe first and only Fayon, I think. Really? Only one? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I suppose I've, I've been part, I've been co-teaching on other workshops actually. So I've sort of inadvertently as a result of that taken part in other people's workshops, but the workshop, the first workshop that I signed myself up to and uh, certainly paid for was uh, Yuval on hands, the hand balancer. Yep. It was his workshop. And, uh, you know, I came from, I had done gymnastics, but we never looked at the handstand in that much detail in gymnastics. So our coach was sort of letting us get away with a bit of a banana back. And, you know, we were using the handstand as a, as a gateway towards tumbling, which obviously requires some arching. So we never really got, you know, we never really got taught a uh, super strict handstand. So, and I thought I could handstand until I saw you, Val, <laughs> which if you've seen him, you, you, you know, if you think you can handstand, look, go and look at him. And I was like, my God, this is amazing. You know, here I was thinking I could handstand and, and I just saw that and I was like, I need to, I need to work with this guy. And uh, he, and so I attended his first ever or maybe a second ever workshop. I think it was his first ever workshop in Tunbridge Wells. It was just outside of London. Mm -hmm. So I booked onto that and I did his workshop uh, and it was a great time. Um, and then other than that, I've, you know, as a result of my work, I've been at events where I'm teaching my material and then there are other teachers there and then they come and do my work and I do theirs. Um, so yeah um but but I, I i sort of very much after uvals uh, and this has nothing to do with my experience at uvals i had a great great time but i did think to myself because also at that time movement culture was sort of coming up mm -hmm. i did think to myself that i wanted to develop my own work without really being so in too influenced by what everyone else is doing mm. because I was there. Here's a kid, you know, I was, however, you know, I was 20, however old I was. And I had, you know, years and years of training under my belt, which I didn't want to discount. I was like, you know, there's something that I've gotten myself to this point. I, I must have something of value to give here. And I felt like I needed to find what that was first before i start looking at what everyone else is doing because then you know you 
you might look at what someone's doing and if you really respect them you'll start getting imposter syndrome thinking now oh, what i'm doing must be wrong because i really respect this guy and he's saying this mm -hmm. and so you're not doing yourself a favor almost a disservice is what you're doing by sometimes i think if if you know by by looking too much at what other people are doing mm. if you have no experience you just graduated and you're new to the game or the movement then yeah you've got to study but i felt i had studied for 15 years so i, I yeah so i didn't want i didn't want to be overly influenced so I, I made it a point not to go to many workshops i developed what i want to develop uh and lo and behold i've managed to to get results and so that's sort of become my my way and i'm, I'm sort of pleased i did it that way um in terms of workshops i did actually uh, there was one workshop that i i, I did uh, go to as quite recent actually i think it was in 2018 so two years ago and it was emma lewis's workshop and uh, it's a uh, modern methods of mobility and that was a great workshop so it was yuval and emmett i knew there was another one in there somewhere um, oh, yeah well, those two guys are really great teachers from what I um, uh, have, have gathered. Um, they are indeed, yes. They are you, indeed. I think you chose really well. Yeah, and uh, I think at some point I would like to attend. Actually, there's a, another chap from Germany called Keenan, Keenan Dinkelman. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's mm. a sort of acrobat contemporary dance of floor work and i really like his stuff albeit it's quite similar to what i do but there's just something about him that i really like and uh, i've actually been trying i was going to host him in the uk here mm. but then the pandemic hit so i was gonna do all the boring bits get him over here and then do his workshop mm. attend his workshop so that would have been cool so he, he's another one that's on my radar that i would I'd like to work with and so with all this rise of, you know, we can call it the, the modern day movement culture. Um, yes. What's, what's the, what have your perceptions been like sort of, uh, like you mentioned, you've had many years of just developing this yourself under your belt and now trying to find your own way, you know, the, with your conversations with people, because I'm guessing maybe a lot of people are coming to you from, from being influenced by this. Uh, yes. What, what are your thoughts surrounding how this is all become popularized now um i ultimately think it is a good thing hmm. uh, now i've got my contentions with some of the things i've seen that are related to movement culture i've got my contentions with some things i've seen with related to fitness to almost everything um so but i think the net result of that of the movement culture exploding is certainly a positive one um so i'm 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 really all for it um yeah i suppose I, to be quite honest I, I i've got nothing else really really to say i think it's brilliant you know the fact that people are now looking for movement as opposed to looking for either a particular discipline like whether it be yoga or climbing or whatever or fitness like jumping on a treadmill or a stairmaster i think the fact that people are now looking for movement is great because movement is broad and you can look at that and really give someone what they need based on the fact that they're looking for something broad enough because if you're somebody comes to you and they say i want to do yoga and you're and you look at them and and all they've ever done is pushing and they need a bit of pulling then the last thing you really want them to start doing is even more pushing and and in yoga you're just 
sort of you know pushing resisting all the time for example so so well, you know with with the the movement umbrella you could say oh we could learn how to pull pulling mechanics how to use the scab how to hang maybe we can go climbing you know or whatever so i think the net benefit of the movement culture blowing up uh, is yeah a huge positive yeah. and looking across to say like modern day fitness culture if there's anything you could change about it or rewrite you know a dogma or belief that's sort of quite evident what would it be it's hard to say Fayon, to be honest i think maybe something to do with the products that are being peddled hmm. because i think even at the core of it i think even if you said to someone or if someone said to you, oh, I just want to look like really like jacked or something, even at the core of it, even though it's, it's certainly not the orientation that I would put the highest on the, on the sort of importance list, I do think it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. It's better than someone who just has no interest in doing anything physical and they sort of sit away doing whatever else they're doing and they rot away and their joints don't see any movement. And so, Mm. so yeah. So even though I don't, I'm not a big fan of like the sort of uh, training to look a certain way. I, I also feel like it's better than nothing. So with that respect, I think, you know, yeah, fitness, you know, it's not, it's certainly not complete. Uh, and it has its own problems, you know, repetitive, the repetitive movements with lack of range, you could argue actually end up doing being a disservice to people as well. Mm. So it is arguable, but uh, I think worse than that, I think is maybe like all the products that they're peddling, like, I don't even like shakes and powders and bars and pills and all this stuff. Mm. That is questionable, I think. So uh, that's probably something that yeah i think that's that's probably one of the biggest negatives i would say Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i do do like when you get into movement training as well how immediate it is even from like say uh looking across from like this whole supplements but from the equipment sort of standpoint you can just you can just start enjoying and just going out there and you find all you have to do is find a bar outside and you can, you know, do all the pulling that, that you want. And then, yeah. you know, just finding the environment and working with the environment. That's something that I found incredibly freeing, I think for my yeah. practice versus when before, you know, I was really restricted to like, Oh, it's gym time. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I also think you're more likely to you're more likely to experience a moment in your movement based training where you suck whereas in your yeah you're just sort of constantly humbled almost you know you think you've learned something and then you hit something else and it's just you're you're just you have you haven't even scratched the humble pie you know you're just still got loads of it left whereas more linear movements yeah i guess you can be humbled you can suck in the sense that you're you know let's say you're overweight and you want to lose weight i guess you're at that point where you already suck and then you've got to get over that hump but i just don't think that 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 protocol of just fitness has enough minerals enough nutrition in there you just yeah whereas yeah with movement you can be hit by a wall and 
yeah, just suck so bad at something that it almost makes you want to quit and cry almost, you know, and you're <laughs> like, shit, I need to deal with this. Like, like I need to deal with this now. Um, so I, I don't know. I just, it just seems to me like there are so many more learning opportunities, maybe for growth in whatever way you want to put that in, in a movement practice. And it's certainly more utilitarian, I would argue as well. And so upcoming Fierce Off Road, what have you got in the works? What have I got in the works? I, uh, I'll tell you what I had in the works, Fion, before the pandemic. I had a bunch of workshops uh, yeah. all over the world. So I was really, really looking forward to that. I, I had a bunch of workshops. I was going to, to Bucharest, to Milan, to Dubai, to Barcelona. I just had a bunch. You know, I, there are people all over the place that are like so keen to train with me. And that was in the works. And so at mm. some point, I guess what I'm saying with this is that at some point that will be in the works. So I'm looking to get some more work abroad and to, to, to come through with that at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later. Mm. Um, and what else? I'm, um, yeah, I'm trying to be a bit more consistent on YouTube um, because uh, again, I would also quite like to have an offering that's free, mm -hmm. that is accessible to anyone, um, because I think what we're doing with movement is uh, of enough value and importance that I think it should be accessible to anyone on some level at least. Mm -hmm. So I'm really putting a bit of effort into my YouTube channel, trying to be consistent, so at least one video a week on there. Um, and then... Yeah, just keep adding to my online library, to all of my online platforms, um, and yeah, working with yeah, working with more people on uh, in person when when that opportunity uh, arrives as well. Well, I feel for you, Fred, with um, having to wait with the workshops. It's a uh, you know patient yeah. time time for everyone, but um, also, it is indeed, yeah. Yeah, really, really appreciate with all the work that you put into all the content, you know, sharing it so generously. And I do agree with you, you know, if we can help with making this sort of like quality movement that we believe in more accessible to everybody, you know, every, everyone uplifts and it sort of uplifts the whole game for, for the people that come to you that want to have, you know, more in-depth sort of training as well. So I think it's really yeah. exciting. Exactly. Yeah. I got a really lovely message from a lady on Playbook. Playbook's the app that I work with, you know, and it was basic. She did one of my, I think it was like a hip mobility flow. And she said, I was having a shit evening, Farid. And I did this flow and, you know, I'm, you know, not everything is solved, but I mean, at least in a way mm. better mood than I was. Uh, so thank you for putting this stuff out there. Mm. You know, things like that, I think are so, so <clears throat> gratifying and validating and also important not just for me to feel good about myself but i'm you know i'm this stuff makes me want to go out there get out of bed film some stuff for people you know <clears throat> and so final question i think you put this on a on a post recently but i didn't see the answers but why do you always look to the right when you finish the sequence <laughs> god um yeah i think I think, what was his name? Was it Robert? I think Robert was right. The judgment cat is, that's where the judgment cat sits. So I just <laughs> got to make sure that it's all good with him. Yeah, that's what it is, Phil. I don't know how he found out, but that's it. Yeah, yeah, well, mystery solved. Um, that's I've, it. 
really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. You know, we went through quite a lot, a lot of insight there. Looking forward to all the stuff that's coming in the works uh, for yourself, you know, just uh, with, I think uh, people people can find you on a lot of platforms, but, um, you know, if someone did want to get in touch with you directly, what would you prefer these days? Uh, they can go to my website. It's www.faridherrera.com, F-A-R-I-D-H-E-R-R-E-R-A.com. And they, there's a bunch of uh, contact boxes there at the bottom, and that'll get you straight into my inbox, my email. So that's one way. You can also DM on Instagram. That's also fine. I try to reply to everyone. Um, so all of those are viable. Awesome. Well, I'll include all those links in the show notes as well. Wicked. Yeah, really enjoyed your time today. Thank you once again. Brilliant, Fionn. Uh, thanks for getting in touch. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your, your message and uh, yeah, just the way which you, uh, yeah, you contacted me. So uh, yeah, I'm glad we made it happen. Me too. All right, guys, that's it for today. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Thanks to Varad for jumping on the podcast. I found it really easy to chat with him. He was a really, really chilled out guy. I got a lot out from re-listening to that conversation and I hope you guys got some great points there as well. So have a lot more coming up as always to share with you guys. And remember, if you'd love to discuss this episode or ask some questions, then you can post them on the Active Hang, which is the online discussion board which I've newly released. You can access it on thepassivehang.com and then click the link there, sign up, and you can ask away. I'll also be compiling and sharing some online resources that I've found via Farad's YouTube channel and Instagram, particularly ones that I've found helpful to me. So I'll include that in the post about this episode on the forum. So there'll be a bit to check out there. Otherwise, thanks to you guys for sticking around and listening to this episode. I really appreciate your support. Once again, if you'd love to get in touch, you can send me a message via the Active Hang. Or if you'd love to stick via Instagram, you can find me on there too, at P. That's at P-H-A-O-N-P. And then shoot me a direct message and I'll get back to you. All right, guys. Well, that's it for today. There's going to be more episodes coming out and I'll see you then.